0: Welcome back everyone to another broadcast of In The Trenches. I'm your host, Tom Morkus, and today I sit down with Gregory Deal. Gregory is a best-selling author, coach, and founder of Identity Publications, a boutique publishing company run by authors, entrepreneurs, and educators who believe impactful ideas deserve visibility. I brought Gregory on today because he's working on two new books, both of which I thought would be interesting to touch on or talk about today. One is called The Influential Author, A Unique Approach to Writing, Publishing, and Marketing Remarkable Nonfiction. And the second book is tentatively titled The Exceptional Person. By the time you're listening to this podcast, both of these books will be published and maybe they'll take another name or title. So if you have any questions about that, just go over to the show notes and we'll have those linked up. And you can find that at tomworkis.com slash podcast. So we talk about writing and publishing and how to create meaningful books and meaningful ideas. And our conversation ends up kind of going that direction on this idea of meaning and what is meaningful work and how do we live a meaningful life? Today's conversation is particularly interesting to me because Gregory has read Dr. Jordan Peterson's work, including Maps of Meaning and 12 Rules for Life. And I interviewed Dr. Jordan Peterson back on episode 143, where we talk about those books and some of his ideas around how we can show up in the world, how we can navigate in a hyper complex reality that we live in, how we can do great work, how we can live a meaningful existence. And so Gregory's book riffs on this idea Not that he's copying Jordan or anything like that, far from it. He's been writing this for many, many years, but that many of his ideas seem to nest really well with a lot of the ideas and theories that Dr. Jordan Peterson shared on episode 143. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I would definitely listen to that after this one. I think you'll get a big kick out of it. But as far as today's conversation is concerned, the big takeaway I would say is that we all need principles. And values to live by, that we cannot navigate this world without having a set of principles that guide us in the direction that we want to go. And so the principles are the cornerstone, those values that we bring to the table. So I'll leave it at that for now. And without further ado, let's get to today's conversation. So, Gregory, the first thing I want to kick off with is what you're working on right now. It's specifically focused on writers and authors, people who are going to publish nonfiction, but it's not just any old nonfiction. You have a kind of way that you categorize or Comment on the type of nonfiction that people should be producing. So, maybe you can give us some insights into what you're working on and why the angle or why the approach that you're taking.
1: Yeah, well, I sort of accidentally stumbled into self publishing a few years ago through some unfortunate circumstances that just left me in a position where I had to finish my first book on my own and learn how to do all this stuff really, really quickly without very much guidance. And before I was an author, I was always a communicator, a teacher, and a salesman of some kind. So, I was always used to putting stories together and explaining really complex concepts in really structured, logical, yet at the same time, entertaining ways. So that naturally translated into the first book I wrote, which was called Brand Identity Breakthrough, appropriately enough, a book about branding. And since then, I've written a couple books. I've helped other people launch a lot of books. And I've just been using these experiences to refine everything I understand about targeted, meaningful communication, as I often phrase it. And what I really like about having discovered now that self-publishing is such a viable avenue that seems really relatively undiscovered and underutilized. Like I I didn't even know that this was, I mean, I knew that self-publishing exists, but I had no idea that it was possible to do it so effectively just by learning about how it works. So now my thing is all about helping people with important, meaningful, unique things to say, either from their own life experiences or some great philosophy they've dreamed up or some expertise they've developed through a lifetime of professional experiences or whatever it is, turn those things into books and sell them successfully, because I feel like there are a lot of people with a lot of really interesting and important things to say who just don't have a platform to say those things. And I know how much it's changed my life since I figured out that I could do that with books. And I know there are a lot of other people like me who are in a similar, if not better position.
0: So how do you define, you, you use this phrase, targeted meaningful conversations. So there's a lot to that, but what do you think about when you're when you're using that that phrase, targeted meaningful conversations, what does that mean to you? Or how do you define that? I mean, conversations that contain the kind of information that is actually going to get you to
1: change the way you think about yourself and your life and therefore change the way you act. And that is different for every person. That's where the targeting comes in. There is a conversation that will cause you to reevaluate how your life works, who you are, and what you're going to do for the rest of the time that you're alive. And there are, I mean, that concept alone could cover so many different things. I wrote a book about travel, specifically about how traveling to a bunch of different countries since the age of 18 has completely transformed. Transform the way I see the world and therefore the way I see myself. That's a really targeted, potentially really impactful. A conversation to have, but only if someone is interested in travel, right? So I wouldn't ask somebody who has no interest in going to other countries to read a book called Travel as Transformation, because even though it might still have some useful information, it's not going to fit the kind of conversation that they're looking for with the kind of person they are and what they're interested in. But there is another book out there that would fit them based on their specific interests and probably change
0: their life if they read it. So there's a couple presuppositions that I think Follow along with that line of thinking, which is when you said it's it's something that would cause you to kind of reevaluate where you're at and cause maybe cause some sort of change within you. And so when I think about change, I think about well, movement from where you are now to somewhere else. Well, let's say ide- idealistically, it's it's where where you want to go. So that's like a positive change. But change kind of comes with it. It, it. it nested within changes. You know, a few important items there. Like one is that it's usually not an easy thing to do and it can be kind of painful. And so I guess my question to you is, and this ties into some conversations I've been having quite recently, on this podcast with other people on the topic of... Sort of on the topic of free speech, but mostly just on the topic of conversation and ideas and idea flow and, and who controls that and how we should kind of conversate with each other and communicate. But I think to myself, well, if you're really sharing something that could actually change somebody's mind in a really profound way, then nested within that is something that maybe they haven't heard before. And that also could be like a maybe a painful or challenging thing. So... The climate that we're in right now, where some some people are being censored, uh, where conversations are kind of being excluded and and people are being pushed or marginalized uh, if they're having conversations that the mainstream would deem unacceptable. How do you look at this space right now as it's kind of laying out, uh, and 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 with like with your focus on kind of creating these targeted, meaningful conversations? Yet we're in an environment where I, I just feel like it's not really receptive to those kind of groundbreaking or or challenging ideas.
1: Well, that's why targeting is all the more important. I don't think anyone's goal as an author or any kind of product creator, really, any kind of communicator, whatever it is you're putting out on the market, even if it's a widget for whatever, the goal isn't to have as many people on earth as possible buy what you've created. It's to have as many as the right kind of people as possible buy, enjoy to the fullest possible extent what you've created, right? So if you're somebody with something controversial to say, undoubtedly there are going to be people who disagree with what you have to say. So you then have an imperative to frame the book that you're writing or the product you're creating in a way that it is not attractive to them and they would never spend the time or the money to actually consume it and therefore wouldn't have that negative reaction to it. You should only be focusing on getting it in front of the people who are going to say, yes, this is exactly what I've been looking for.
0: Yeah. And I, I definitely get that. I think the reason I bring that up is because we were talking a little bit offline. I know you're working on a book right now that's related to some of the work that Dr. Jordan Peterson's writing about. And so we are both, I think, fans, at least of his, some of the way he thinks and what he presents and teaches to some degree. I won't label you that way, but I, I know I am. And I found his his work really fascinating. And I think he has maybe one of the least controversial like theories and philosophies you could ever come up with, which is take responsibility. You know, I, f- I feel like that's the underlying message. And yet that's received a ton of controversy. And when I, re- I actually published my episode with him, it was episode 143, I actually got hate mail from it. One of the first times I've really gotten hate mail. And I thought to myself, here's somebody who I think will be probably the least controversial person ever with this message. It's something that you think anybody, no matter where you come from, would be able to a, like not only accept the, some of the ideas that he's saying in, in terms of responsibility, but be like, yeah, I totally agree. It's like self-evident, but that was not the case. So I agree with you that you should be speaking to your audience, but sometimes when you're speaking to your audience, people other people outside of that that space will still latch on. Maybe try to tear it down. So I guess what's your position, how do you feel about that kind of that situation we're in? I mean, you're writing a book I think on his work right now or or to a degree some of the ideas within his work. So I'd love for you to kind of elaborate on that and how you how you feel going into that, how you feel about sharing those kind of ideas.
1: Yeah, Jordan Peterson is a great example of what you're talking about, probably the perfect one in the present age where he's actually done a really brave thing by becoming a public figurehead for certain controversial ideas, ideas that are subject to misinterpretation, I guess you could say, because he's written two very dense, very long books, both of which I've read or rather listened to the audio of Maps of Meaning and 12 Rules for Life, both of which I found to be excellent books. And he really goes into great detail about his overall approach to life and why he thinks human beings act the way they do. And you can't get his the full depth of his message just from watching one interview with him, right? Or just taking a soundbite exactly. out of context and saying, oh, he's clearly advocating for nationalism, white nationalism, or something that you know, people, people apply their own meaning to what they don't understand. And that's, you know, we're all biased creatures with incomplete information. And unfortunately, most people aren't going to bother to try to complete their information before forming a conclusion. They will just assume that it is what they think that it is before they've actually taken the time to take that information in. So So yeah, if you're going to write a book about something that has the power to change the way people think and live, implicit in that idea is the fact that you could challenge people in a way they don't want to change or make them think about things they don't want to think about. Now, for the average self-published author, that's not really an issue because you're not probably never going to be famous enough that you're going to be causing controversy and become an infamous figurehead among the people who disagree with you, which Jordan Peterson now has, which is why I say, I say that he's quite brave for doing what he's done, I think. I mean, I'm sure he's quite happy with the income and the lifestyle benefits he's gotten from that. But, you know, stepping into the public light to stand up for what you believe in is always a brave thing. And to me, he has he says a lot of things but to me the the crux of what he's always talking about is learning to live a life of meaning and purpose and he calls back to many old archetypes of heroism and you know standing up for timeless principles and identifying yourself with the things that you believe in and living beyond i guess you could say the concerns of ordinary human needs and worries and and really living a principled life i guess you could say and even even before i started hearing about jordan peterson that kind of stuff always really appealed to me. I think what Peterson has done is taken those concepts and taken them somewhat out of obscurity and again, put them into the public eye in a way that most people can at least start to get curious about. And I, about two years ago, I started writing a book, which should be done hopefully by the end of this year, but the working title is The Exceptional Individual. And it I wouldn't say it's, it's a direct play on Peterson's theories, but we certainly talk about a lot of the same things, except he's talking about it mostly from, from a very lofty position of psychoanalysis most of the time. And I'm trying to bring these concepts down to the level of, let's say, the frustrated and gifted young adult who's struggling to find his place in the world. And rather than give them a a just step-by-step practical guide of, well, here's how to get a rewarding job, or here's how to have a rewarding relationship, I'm trying to take it from the perspective of there are certain principles you need to understand of the kinds of problems you're going to have in life as an unconventional, exceptionally-minded person who understands what he's passionate about and is brave enough to go after them. And here's how to overcome those kinds of trials and find success in those principles. It's a very unconventional book. And I, I have no idea what this reception is going to be. But I think for the people who read it, it's going to be potentially very profound and life changing.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Because as we're recording this year, in the home stretch, we'll say, of the book, which of course is always like the hardest thing there is in the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I've heard somebody say, like, you know, statistically, most people never write a book, even though something like 80% of people want to write a book. But then, You know, I would actually go as far as to say I I actually believe anybody could write one book, but writing a second or third or fourth, it takes a special kind of person because I think once you realize that the pain of the first book, it's like why would I ever do this again? So, and I think that ties into why it's so important to have a meaningful book or to write and create something that creates meaningful conversation, as you define it, kind of the way you kind of capture that. I I really like that phrase. Let's really examine this one that you're working on because I'm particularly fascinated by this topic. I've always been interested in, you could say maybe the self-development, self-help genre. It's stuff I've read so many books in that space. They've I feel like they've helped me tremendously. And I'm always looking for new insights and how to better act within the world. And so you mentioned maps of meaning. I thought that was when I I actually heard that via Jordan Peterson's lecture series on YouTube. And I watched the whole thing, like binge watched it, man. It was like 24 hours and I was like, this is maybe the most fascinating thing I've ever heard of because I had heard it in passing in some things like you might be familiar with Joseph Campbell's. um, Of course. Yeah. His work, which is more on the, on the story side of things. Whereas Jordan obviously brings it into the, the the psychoanalysis as you described kind of the science behind it and ties it into a bunch of those archetypal stories so he kind of takes it one level deeper but still easy to understand like easier than Jung or some of these other people get that he kind of describes as like the foundation of this line of thinking in the last you know couple hundred years or something like that last hundred years so talk me through this when you say you because you mentioned you you it's not a riff off of Jordan's, per se. It's, it's ideas that you've developed over time, but you've listened to his Maps of Meaning um, and his 12 Rules for Life. You're probably influenced it to some degree. I'm curious, to what degree do you feel like that's had influence in your work? And also, where do you see maybe some differences? Or what are some of the things that you're kind of postulating or putting out there that you think are critical ways for us to think about, say, the world and our lives?
1: Well, I, as far as Jordan Peterson's influence on me as a person and, and how it's going to affect what I'm writing, I wouldn't say necessarily that he gave me any of these ideas or that I'm ripping them off from him. But more than anything, he's probably given me the confidence to talk about them right. because he's, he is a symbol that this is now entering the public paradigm and the conversation people are having. Whereas if I had never seen what has become of Jordan Peterson, I probably would have assumed that the kinds of ideas I want to talk about here that are very important and personal to me would probably be too obscure for most people to understand or for it to ever sell as a book, especially from somebody you've never heard of, some 30-year-old guy who says he's figured out, you know, the principles to how to live an exceptional life or whatever lofty claim you'd, you'd want to make. But for me, it goes back to, and I actually I read about this in the introduction to the book, I can remember being a little kid and watching movies like Superman and Star Wars and the Lion King and instantly identifying these archetypal patterns that guys like Joseph Campbell and Jordan Peterson talk about. Of course, I didn't know who they were when I was six years old, 10 years old, 15. Uh, but I instantly saw that there were similar patterns in the way Superman acts in the way luke skywalker acts in the trials that simba the lion has to overcome in order to become the king and i immediately wondered why do people keep telling the same stories and why do they work so well And why do stories that are lacking these elements instantly fade into obscurity, whether they're in books or movies or whatever? I I watched a lot of movies as a kid because it was easy to, but it just stood out to me as very profound that there was a reason why we keep telling the same kinds of stories over and over. And from there, combined with a lot of very strange and unconventional life experiences traveling around the world for the last decade, I, I came to understand that it's because these kinds of archetypal hero patterns that we see in popular media reflect some kind of unconscious map within ourselves of the kind of life we should be living if we are seeking constant meaning and growth. To me, the hero's journey is a map for how to overcome challenges and expand into a larger version of yourself. And it's cyclical. It never ends. You're just constantly growing, facing a new challenge, overcoming it, resting for a while and returning back into the journey. So when I'm watching Superman and Luke Skywalker and Simba the Lion, that's what I'm seeing. And from there... I arrived at all these, you know, series of 33 principles that I'm putting into the book, one chapter for each that explain if you're a young person seeking purpose eating and you feel like society is never going to give you the information and the instructions and the support you need to do that, here's what you're going to have to understand to do that for yourself.
0: I might even take it one step further there at the end with that, that point you made about society maybe not helping you. I almost see society acting against the interest of the individual in a lot of cases, with some of the ideas that are being spread or ideas that are being suppressed right now, which I think is it's unfortunate you know you think internet freedom of speech being able to share ideas I, I remember being at the outset in the like the early 90s and at first getting online and thinking wow this is this is it. This is going to change the world. And I think it has in a lot of ways, obviously. But now we're seeing this kind of, I think, a stunted conversation happen. And so I think it's now more important than ever to share these kind of ideas because they're not being distributed organically, maybe is one way to to, to look at it, or, or organically through our cultural systems, through the education system, through, uh, through work, maybe a lot of different ways where I see these types of ideas, these maybe... Critical principles or core principles that would help you li- live a meaningful or productive life. Those aren't really being taught anymore. They're not really being shared. I think it's actually because the idea of talking about principles and talking about values means you're kind of drawing a line in the sand, and that's an uncomfortable conversation for people to have. It feels like I'm I'm looking at this from a vantage point of kind of being out of this, but just having a lot of conversations with people who are in it, and, and so that's just my very one-dimensional view of it right now. So when you talk about these, see these thirty-three principles, are there any that? come to mind as we're talking right now that you think are critical essential you know one or two that we could highlight and kind of maybe dive into and kind of why you feel they're so important well do you ever see that peanuts comic that gets
1: passed around facebook a lot where i think the character linus says no one is ever going to give you the education you need to overthrow them exactly (laughs) i love it it's easy to think of like you know governments and protests but on on a very and a much more unconscious level society and culture in general functions through uniformity and everybody having a fixed place, not just in terms of their occupation, but in terms of who they think they are and how they think they're allowed to interact with other human beings. And sometimes those rules help us like, hey, don't murder each other. But more often, they're just very limiting to our freedom of expression and creativity and ability to live, whether that's being able to cross an international border or have the kind of job you want or create the kind of art you want or speak the kind of message you want or love the kind of person you want to love. So... The exceptional person, at least as I'm using the term to literally mean the exception to the rule, is somebody who does things because he wants to do them because they are true to him or her, as the case may be, not because they are approved by the culture that they live in, whether that just be uh, unconscious cultural pressures or actual laws where you will be punished if you break those laws in a condoned way by the legal system. So. In heroic myths of any kind, no matter who it is uh, or what the context is, there are always trials that the heroic character has to go through. It's never easy. It's never, oh, I believe in truth and justice and I'm going to prove it right now. And I did it and everything's fine and I saved the day and there's no problem. It's always I am going to have to struggle and suffer over and over and over To have my determination, my conviction of how much I actually believe what I claim to believe in tested until I persevere and win anyway in spite of the fact that everything was working against me. Because that's the only way you actually know that you believe in what you claim to believe in. If it's easy to believe in what you believe in, how do you know that that's actually true to you? The reason that heroes have tests and trials to overcome is because that's the only way they can actually prove that they are who they say they are. If you will continue to believe in and continue to act in in, in accordance with your principles, even when it's the most difficult thing in the world to do, then you have passed that test and then you get to move on to another test where another part of you is challenged in some way. And so maybe that's something like writing a book for you. Do you have the wherewithal to see your book through to completion? And then once you've done that, that's no longer quite as difficult. You need to find something more difficult to do. And in the, in the context of society, that's what is your culture telling you you're not allowed to do that you want to do anyway? And why do you want to do it so badly that you're willing to stand up to society and say, I don't care how hard you make this for me, I'm going to do it anyway. That's what a heroic, exceptional person does. They say, I'm going to do it because I know that it's right, regardless of the circumstances around me. So that's one of the principles covered in the book. Tests,
0: trials. Yeah. How do you think this applies? And, and this is definitely ri- written for, uh, obviously, like you're, you're writing this. Well, actually, let me ask you that question, I guess, before I make an assumption. When you write a book like this, who, who do you think of when you write the book? That's
1: tough. And it's actually changed a lot since I started writing the book about two years ago. It's not it's not a super long book. It's about 50,000 words. Uh, it's, it's shorter than my first book, which only took me a few months to write and i think that's because it has changed so much in the process of writing and rewriting it i initially conceived it in in a much more limited easier to understand fashion of just life advice for gifted young people right because i saw myself as, as a frustrated intelligent ambitious teenager who didn't get the support and the advice he needed when i most needed it which is why i started traveling around the world as soon as i could but as i was writing that book it was much too limited i had to keep narrowing my thoughts down to a level I wasn't comfortable with to write it specifically for that person. It it was was information that had already been expressed by a million other people in a million other ways. And I realized I was talking about something much deeper and much more profound that didn't just apply to gifted, ambitious young people. I was talking about the mythological principles of what makes a person a person and why they do the things they do. And for people who are trying to live a life of meaning and purpose, here's what you're going to have to know to do that. So that's a much bigger, more important concept to me than just you're a smart young person and you don't know what you want to do with your life. That to me is a much more narrow topic. So I had to actually rewrite the book several times now, and that's why it hasn't been published yet because I'm still going through that final rewrite and cleaning up every little thing and making sure it's talking to exactly the person I want to be talking to. But I guess if I had to narrow it down to a single person, it would probably be a younger version of me. But isn't that what every author does to some extent? They write about themselves and they write to themselves.
0: Yeah. And that's why I, I was asking, because I feel like that's specifically in the, the case of, say, anything in the, the self-development, self-help genre, anything aimed at uh, any kind of like how-to, I think a lot of nonfiction is in that space too a little bit. I found that the conversations I've had with nonfiction writers, it's it is it's like a younger version of themselves they're writing to. And so it's always kind of interesting to, to hear and to see how that ends up being uh, personified in the book or, or made manifest. So, okay. So with that as kind of, and understanding that's kind of where you started and how it's kind of evolved. When you look at this and you want to bring this to light, I guess if there's one conversation that people could start to have around this book, there could be any, we, we don't know yet. Cause it's not out yet. Obviously you're in the home stretch and and it'll be out soon. But, Oh, I think when people are listening to this, that it should be available, but what do you feel are, is going to be the the profound conversation, the meaningful that conversation that'll happen here? Because you haven't said anything to me yet. That seems, um, out of bounds. Um, nothing terribly controversial. Not that you have to say anything controversial. But I'm I'm curious. Like if this, if people have this book, they were started to read it and share it with other people. What do you think would be the the most important conversation they could have with one another?
1: Well, if there were going to be any controversy, and I, I predict there might be a little, just based off of my past experiences of writing books that that could be considered. Uh, a little unconventional like my travel book is is pretty deep and and that I did get some negative reviews on that saying oh this this guy just you know thinks everybody should abandon their responsibilities in life and travel the world with wild abandon and that's not the path for everyone and this author needs to realize that and at no point in the book do I say that everybody needs to do this but whatever people have their interpretations i i could see some people responding that way saying what so so those of us who just want to live an ordinary life aren't good enough for for you, Mr. Gregory Deal. You think everybody needs to, to follow in your path and do what you want to do. And again, that's that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying there is a specific kind of person in the world, a subset of people who have this natural desire and drive to do big, important, meaningful things with their life because if they don't, they're probably going to kill themselves. That's not an exaggeration. They are so driven towards the need to feel like they're accomplishing something meaningful and not having their lives controlled and determined by the societal voices around them, whether that's their parents or their teachers, the government or some other unseen force, that they will be living literally miserable and depressed and potentially suicidal if they do not learn how to break out of that and start living their own life. So I talk about that to a fair amount in the travel book, but through the filter of travel, saying here's how I used travel to, to have these kinds of realizations and find this kind of freedom. This book is supposed to be much more principled it's supposed, to, it's supposed to be for every person who is feeling this and needs to find a way out of it. And there are many ways out of this, right? Because what you find meaningful isn't necessarily going to be what I find meaningful. What I care about, the kinds of things that can bring me to tears or elation is not necessarily going to be the same thing that can bring you to tears or elation. So when you find out what those things are about you, then you can start to test yourself in that heroic kind of way saying, am I going to be strong enough to stand up for these things and acquire these things and accomplish these things? So I hope that's the conversation people have when they read the book, that they start to structure their life in that way.
0: I like it. And it's really fascinating. And when you're talking about that too, my mind now goes, I think probably because of, we've probably been listening and reading a lot of the same things. Uh, But now part of me then thinks when I hear something like that, where is the importance of what has come before and the structure that's present? So let me, that's kind of the question I'm going to ask you. You said it's, you know, it's important that you can you know break out of these societal norms that, you know if you if if you have to or you deem necessary uh, to ch- challenge things and again I'm I'm like all on board for that that's kind of how I've lived my life in many ways and yet still had when I look back still realize that to to some degree I've I've respected kind of what has come before and and you know these the structures that are present now and I guess I'm I'm looking at that and seeing we can say things like oh think outside the box and do things differently and those are all I think those are correct in the right cases. Right. Um, and they can become like idioms and those are good starting places. Those right. are good first steps. Sure. And, and so one of the things I'm, I guess I'm wondering, I don't know if you tackle this in the book or not is where does it, does it ever come point where it's like you do these things, you know, whatever's important to you, et cetera, et cetera. do you ever come back and say, well, now look at, look at those things that preceded you look at those foundational things. Cause when you're talking about archetypal stories, I guess that's the thing that stems from that or one of the pieces of that is that that has been there for a long time. And maybe there's something embedded in us that's kind of important to take note of and maybe abide by or live by certain principles that have come before. So what's your opinion on that? Because you're, you're telling us to you know think outside the box, take some risks, and I'm all in support of that. How do you feel about things uh, when somebody starts to do that? Is there anything that they should also still try to connect with or stay tied to when it comes to culture or community or society at large?
1: Well, yes and no. And there's no one answer to that because everybody's childhood, everybody's community, everybody's culture and society is different. Right. But I do. one one of the first chapters of the book is specifically about childhood. But it's it's about learning to look at your childhood in an unbiased way because unfortunately we are all super biased about where we come from and the family we have and the experiences we had that started to shape us when we were very little and very impressionable. And they can either be very positive things, like maybe you had great parents who taught you moral virtues and how to live a productive life and all that. And even if that's true though, Those things that you believe, you believe because they told you to believe them, because it was the default setting for your life, not because you necessarily explored the alternatives, the opposite of what you were told is true and came through your own trials, your own experimentations to believe, yes, now I know that this is true for me and this is truly what I care about and what defines me instead of it just being what my parents programmed me to believe or my society in some form. Or the opposite, if if you had a problematic childhood, like you argued with your parents or you were mistreated by them, or in my case, I felt like I was smarter than everyone around me when I was 10 years old, which you can imagine was a nightmare for both me and my parents. I was the kind of person who had to discover things on my own because I didn't feel like there was hardly a single person in my life who could give me genuine guidance that I could follow. So I was chaotic, lost, wild, unstructured for a long time. So everybody to progress in some way does need to look at their past and say, what can I gain from this? What is useful about my memories of the past? The people that I formed relationships with and so forth. And what is unuseful? What is just holding me back? I think Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot where, where he'll say, you know, if your parents weren't your parents, would you really want to have them in your life still? Like If they weren't the people who biologically created you and raised you, would they be the kind of people you could look up to and say, these are mentors to me, these are wise figures who I respect and appreciate and have given me valuable guidance that I haven't yet earned on my own? or are they just there because of societal and biological obligation? And that's true with every person you meet early in your life. The friends you make, the classrooms you're put into, the jobs you take, and the coworkers you have, most of it is just arbitrarily forced upon you by outside forces. Very rarely do we actually get to choose the kinds of experiences we're going to have because they're important to us and therefore also the kind of people that we're going to build bonds with because we can actually learn from them and teach them things and have meaningful relationships with them. So to answer your question, yes, the first thing, I think one of the first things people need to do is look back upon the past that they are still holding on to. Most people tend to look at their lives like it's a roadmap that they're following and where they started and where they're going, except that when you actually look at your past, you're not actually looking at the past, you're looking at your memories and your impressions of the past, right? And those are all happening in the present moment. Everything that you experience is happening in the present moment. And therefore, those things can be changed in the present moment. The memories that you hold on to now that you give so much importance to, you can learn not to give them so much importance, And sometimes that's hard because we're traumatized and we have deeply embedded emotional responses to things. But everything that was put into you by that same logic can also be modified in some way. It just might take a lot of work to do that. So if you're not willing to have that conversation with yourself where you honestly say, do I need to keep holding on to these memories and associations or are they just inhibiting me from being the person that I would actually be without those inhibitions, then you're never going to grow as a person.
0: You know what's become strikingly clear to me as I grow older the more i i've I've only been doing this like this podcasting thing, this blogging thing for about five years. It's really not that long a time, and I think to myself like what 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 will I be like in ten or twenty years, continuing to produce podcasts or whatever the equivalent might be at the time, or continuing to write and blog and and write books and publish and and doing all the things that I'm kind of doing now, which is. Business owner, business creators, like self employed. I'm not really dependent on, or I, I don't have to, to bow to any, any boss really except myself, which is, had, brings its own difficulties and its own challenges for sure. But one thing I've re- recognized that looking at that last five years compared to the, say, 10 years before that, my time in the military, uh, how, how different it is. But what I've come to realize over time and kind of that juxtaposition is how important the little actions are each day. Because the little actions compound over time and they compound and then those little actions that compound over time kind of build that character and that character is what's going to gravitate uh, or or, or move you or compel you one one way or another when important choices come up in life. And then you can easily go down a track that you were never intending on because of the small little choices you're making that you thought were trivial, but... They've now compounded in magnitude five or ten years down the road, and so that can be good or bad, right? And I guess if I were to think about that, and I don't know if you have any comments on this piece, but it's this idea of how important those little things are in terms of how we live our life, the choices we make early in life. Because you were saying how sometimes will like people's lives will they'll live a life that was not of their own accord, was thrust upon them outside of their own volition. But I think a lot of times when I look at this, in in most cases, that that does happen, but it seems to me that. What might be more evidently the case is that people actually end up where they are because of all the small choices they've made, and part of that might be because they're not questioning the right things, right? But still, it is those actions, those those belief systems that they do have, whether it's some of that that gave gave it to them, and they they continue to move forward with th- thinking and believing those things, and then that painted the the landscape that they had to then navigate, and then they chose these things that now led them into a life that they didn't really want to live, and they're you know doing the ninety five grind and they hate it, but they can't be you know, uh, an entrepreneur anymore or they don't think they can because, well, it's too late or because they're just so well ingrained in this one path. So I guess coming back to it, my question for you or, or just to get your feedback and comments on this, what are your thoughts about that? Because I look at it and say, I think a lot of this actually stems from the individual. And it sounds like you're kind of saying that too. Like we do have to question what's outside and that could be an, an influencing force, negative or positive. And it does come back to the individual to be able to decide that and think for themselves. And But I guess my, my question for you is for a lot of people, what are your thoughts in terms of like how they find themselves now? Is it, is it mostly the external or is it mostly the internal?
1: Well, I think to answer your question, you'd have to understand why you do the little things that you do, because it's the little things that you usually take for granted. Why do you dress the way you do? Why do you eat the way you do? Why do you talk the way you do? Why do you associate with the people that you do? All those things that you just, you know, think are just part of you, your identity, mm. came from somewhere. Because if you and this is why I like using travel as an example, and why I wrote a book specifically about how travel changes your perception of this, because if you go to another country on the other side of the planet and suddenly everybody is dressing differently, talking differently, interacting with each other in a way that's totally alien and foreign to you, you then have to ask, well, why do they act that way? And people back home in California act a totally different way. Like who decided that? Well, nobody really decided that. It's an accumulation of all the little choices that generations before you have made and are currently making all around you. And every corporation that advertises to you and every teacher you've ever had in school, every cultural influence you've ever had in some way has shaped your behavior, mostly in ways you don't notice because they're so small and everyone around you is doing the same thing anyway. So you just assume, well, this is this is just what people do, right? Well, no, people can do a surprisingly large variety of things or they they follow certain principles, certain, but the way that they can express those principles is is enormous, right? And that's why we have all the different cultures that we do and, and the different demeanors of people, whether you consider them favorable or unfavorable. So to ask why your life is going the direction that it is or has gone so far, you have to understand why you make all the little choices that you do. And of course, all the big choices, too besides just, oh, should I go to college? Or should I go into this career? Or should I marry this girl? Like, those are obviously big choices that people tend to think about. But those big choices are the results of all the little choices about how I'm going to interact with people, right? Or the kinds of things I'm going to spend my free time thinking about or doing, right? Those things end up setting up the big choices that you actually spend a lot of time thinking about. Because how would you end up in a certain career and, unless circumstances of your life had put you in a position to even know about that career and be interested in that career? Or the girl that you're going to marry, how would you even have met her if, All the little choices you are making hadn't brought you to meet her and be attracted to that kind of person and enter into a relationship with that kind of person. So those you really have to start from zero. You know, you you have to start from a completely blank slate where if you could just assume if I just popped into existence right now in this moment, in this body, in the room that I'm in, in the country that I'm in, in, in the year that it is right now. What kind of person would I be? What kind of choices would I make? What assumptions would I hold? What conclusions would I come to just from that blank slate perspective? How much of what The old me, the person with 30 years of life baggage and memories and associations, has those conclusions that he holds. How much of those continue to be true if I suddenly become somebody who started existing right now in this moment and had to figure everything out from scratch? And that's a really terrifying prospect for most people because not knowing who you are and not knowing what you're supposed to be doing is just the most uncomfortable thing ever but if you're brave enough to at least consider that and then start making different little choices based on the idea that maybe you're wrong about the way you're living maybe it's not the absolute best way for you to be living and therefore you should try something new we tend to talk about you know self help coaches and, and gurus in general, I don't like most of them because they tend to come from an approach that's very, I don't know, optimistic and empowering and saying, well, you should know what you want and go after it. And I'm more the kind of guy who, who comes from the approach of, you have no idea what you want. How could you possibly know what you want? You don't know anything about yourself. Because your entire life, you've been following the advice of other people. So what you think you want is actually something somebody else told you that you should want at some point in your life over the accumulation of the years of your life. So I would take a very negative approach and say, forget everything that you think you want. And then slowly, slowly, slowly figure out what you actually really do want. And even then, when you think you figured that out, keep testing it anyway. Always be slightly unsure.
0: What's your process for doing that? Because what I've thought about in the past and had some conversations with other people about this is the idea of asking why, and asking why like five times to something. If you can ask why you want something, and kind of get to the root of it, ask like if you can, you know, ask why five times and still have like a compelling answer or something like that. Maybe maybe you're on the right track. Is that something you've done? Is are, are there any tips, tricks, or techniques that somebody could use to actually start to do the self analysis? Because you say start with a blank slate, and part of me says yes, try it. It's a great exercise. And then part of me is like that's absolute futility because it's impossible. We show up to that conversation even in our own heads with too much uh, that has come before to even start with a blank slate. But it's a—I still think it's a good... I think it's a good intellectual exercise to do and to challenge our preconceived notions to really think through it. But I guess my question to you is how might you do that practically speaking? Because yeah, blank slate for everything. It would be so hard. And I think it's even you know, I think it might even be... It's, it's beyond my intellectual capacity to do it myself. I would think that that's the case for many people, whether they realize it or not. Um, so I guess if you were thinking about this, is there a specific place that you start that line of questioning? And then how do you work through it? Because I really do feel like the blank slate thing is so challenging so as to be its stopping point in and of itself for most people.
1: Well, sure, as, as an absolute, it's, it probably is impossible. But that doesn't mean that you can't get pretty close to it, right? Or that you can't gain something mm-hmm. from at least approximating it. But if, if you were going to try to analyze your life, I would look for the underlying patterns behind why you've made the choices that you have and why you do things the way that you do. Because I think you could probably define most people's lives in a few simple patterns and principles, you know, that like for me, it would be something like I value the actualization of human potential. Like that, that's one way you could word that. There are many ways you could word it, but that could explain probably 80% of the things I've done in my adult life. Because in some way, when I went into education or when I sold a certain product or when I wrote the books that I wrote, or, you know, many of the relationships I've had in my life have all been around, have all been because of that fundamental principle in me that I am always trying to make the most out of potential I see in human beings. And I don't know why I am that way. I just know that very clearly I am that way because I have seen it over and over and over again in all kinds of situations I couldn't have predicted all over the world. Not because somebody told me to act that way, but because I realized through my own experimentation, this is what is personally most rewarding and most fulfilling for me, right? Nobody told me to be this kind of person. Mm -hmm. I just figured out that I was this kind of person.
0: It's maybe the at least one of the most important challenges to undertake, I think, for every person, and to do it. start that process as soon as possible I think is is a good way to summarize the the gist of that too, is to start asking those questions, start challenging yourself. I do think it leads to good places even if it's a difficult thing to do and And the idea you you mentioned, like knowing that you're, you're like finding out that you're wrong and we're kind of scared of that. and I think you can say that, and people might think a little bit superficially about what what it means to be wrong and i think when you realize that you might might have been wrong at like a fundamental level that's where things uh Get a little crazy, right? And uh, might turn your world upside down. So I would just say, you know, tread carefully. Go go down that path. Read obviously Gregory's book and 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 take a look at it and start digging into the stuff. I think it's so important. And be know that even though there will be pain, you know, I think associated with something like this, or there could be, that it's a worthwhile thing to do. That on the other side of that threshold is something that will be better for you in the long run. I think that's been what I've at least seen. In my life, with the people who have done such a thing, who really do kind of question why they're doing things, who challenge maybe the pre-existing paradigms or the structure or the process that everybody seems to be you know moving through uh, the typical process and the people I know that have kind of challenged that or, or questioned it seem to be have lived very meaningful uh rewarding lives so just that's my take of, of what you said, Gregory. I don't know if you have any final comments on that
1: yeah, well, we hardly even gotten into the traumatic parts mm. of this, but you know it's it's true that Every time you realize that you're wrong about something, it's going to hurt to some extent. And if you find out that you've been wrong about the way you've been living your life for the last couple of decades or or the most important decisions you've ever made, that's the most painful realization ever. It's like committing suicide on an existential level. And so that's why most people will, will quit this process before they reach that point where they realize they've been very, very wrong about some very, very important things. And you have, I guess your will to arrive at the truth or at least a closer approximation of the truth has to be stronger than whatever pain you will feel by realizing you were wrong about something you cared a lot about or invested a lot of yourself into. And I, you know, it's a never ending cycle for me. Every time I think I've I've reached a new level of, okay, well, I've solved, you know, my inadequacies and the mistakes I've made in the past, and I'm not going to do this anymore. I find another new way for life to surprise me with, holy shit, you thought you knew what you were doing here? No fucking way. You are completely off the mark there. And you're going to have to sit for a very long time now and reassess what you thought was going on here. And underneath all that, certain principles remain true. But again, just the ways that they show up, there's an infinite variety and you cannot possibly be prepared for all of them. So you you just have to be determined enough to to see it through the pain to get to some higher state of existence.
0: I love it. Well, Gregory, I think that's a great place for us to, to cap today's conversation because we could go on and on about this, I'm sure, all day. But... I thought this was an intriguing conversation. I'm hopeful that people listening will find this inspirational and insightful. And I want people to be able to find this book. It should be out by the time people are listening to this. Uh, But where can people go to find you, connect with you, and check out more of your work?
1: I would suggest you check out my books on Amazon. If you like what I have to say, or if you want to write a book about something important and meaningful, I have a book about that coming out soon called The Influential Author, or you can go to my publication company website, which is identitypublications.com. If you just want to talk to me, you can either send me an email through that website or add me on Facebook, Gregory V. Deal.
0: I love it. Well, Gregory, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches, man. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Are you trying to grow your online business, but struggling to get new customers consistently and predictably? Are you tired of working nonstop only to see your income plateau? Are you ready to step off the hustle hamster wheel, as I call it, and step onto a path of predictable profit that you can scale as much or as little as you want? Don't worry, you're not alone. I've been there. When I first got started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I started reading blogs and listening to podcasts by people I respected and wanted to learn from. I slowly but surely put their recommendations into practice, but because I wanted to do it all myself, maybe you, you're you something like that, right? And You love to do, do it by yourself, learn through trial and error. Well, bottom line is it took forever. Results were unpredictable when I was first getting started. I wasn't sure where to spend my time, money, and energy, and shiny penny syndrome got the best of me on more than one occasion. For many entrepreneurs, the amount I sacrificed working literally nonstop in some cases in my spare time and 12 and 14 hour days routinely after going full time, combined with the endless fog of war, AKA that uncertainty that I had to deal with at all times because I was going it alone. I think that would have been enough for most entrepreneurs to throw in the towel, but I was persistent, focused, and I stayed humble. Day after day, I worked to grow the traffic to my website, increase my list of subscribers, and generate a healthy living for my eBooks, e-courses, and other digital products. At least that was the goal. But maybe more important than the work, was that I paid attention to what I was doing, including what worked and what didn't. Eventually, I discovered a predictable pattern of growth. And so what I did was I just doubled down on those things, and I scrapped or sidelined the other things that weren't working so well. Finally, two years after resigning my commission as a captain in the army and going full-time on my online business front with my blog, with my podcast, etc., I replaced my income with digital product income. Two years. And so if that's where it stopped, I would have been happy with it. I would have been happy with the results. I wouldn't have complained. I would have been very content just replacing my income. But the bottom line is it was so much work. I wanted to you know, see if it could go somewhere else, right? So I just kept doing what I was doing, but better, faster, more effectively. Again, just kind of applying the same system that I discovered uh, from seeing these patterns emerge, right? So I implemented it. I kept doing it. And eventually, replacing my income turned into doubling my income. And then that turned into a little bit more and a little bit more. But not just that, it afforded me the freedom to dictate my day and also choose the projects I want to work on, on the schedule and on the timeline I want, and to work with the people I want to work with. And to me, that's like a whole new level of freedom, especially coming from the military. It's something I've never really had that level of complete autonomy until I became my own boss. I started my own business, and until ultimately, until it became profitable enough for me to start to take a step back and actually reap the rewards of it. Because it's not all just working, working, working. And I do believe it's hard work. And I'll always say that. Nothing about doing this stuff is easy. But at the same time, you've got to reap the rewards at some point and take some of that profit, Uh, even if you're just reinvesting it into new assets and things like that. Bottom line is, it can't just be work, right? Entrepreneurship and business is about that result that occurs, the value you've created and the profit that That piece of value that you've captured. Okay. And you want to be able to reap the rewards of that profit, of that value, that little sliver of value that you get to capture, that you get to net, right? You want to be able to take advantage of that. Otherwise, you know, the entrepreneurship game really does become just a grind. And and for, I think, a lot of entrepreneurs, unfortunately, it becomes meaningless and that's when they quit. Well, for me, I love this stuff. I really, truly do. I mean, it is my thing. And so that's why I didn't just stop where I was at. I've stayed committed to learning everything I can about all aspects of this online business world and this online marketing world. And I do this through real-world application. In other words, I'm currently growing several online businesses and I'm always putting my ideas to the test in real time with my own money, with my own time and energy, oftentimes with employees, you know, a lot of some some stuff more advanced, some stuff more simple, but You know, so varying levels of complexity and again, in different spaces, different niches. And I can say, you know, bottom line, I've always loved the startup hustle, but I got to say, it's nice to now be in a position where I can get big results with much less effort, thanks to having built the foundation of my business the right way. And again, I did it all through trial and error, but I don't think that that's the way that everyone needs to do it. And in fact, looking back on it, if I had to redo it, I don't know if I would. It was so difficult to just go it alone and try to figure everything out by myself. So one of the things I've tried to do is give back with this podcast, with my blog, and with my newsletter. But maybe even more rewarding than any of this stuff, while I've enjoyed all of it, I think the thing that I'm enjoying the most, that I find most engaging and rewarding is the premium business mastermind and coaching program I run called 100K Academy. Inside 100K Academy, I help ambitious entrepreneurs who are very driven and excited to be doing what they're doing. I help them grow their reach, their influence, and their profit using my proprietary marketing system. That's the same one I use to scale my own online businesses from zero to multiple six figures and beyond, and the same system I use to help my clients reach the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, set Kickstarter funding records, and create viral product launches that have turned into predictable revenue streams. So lots and lots of case studies that you can find at TomMorcus.com. If you're curious, just go to TomMorcus.com slash about, and that'll get you started. Most importantly, this system is one that 100K Academy members and alumni have used to achieve tremendous results, like Alexa, who used it to have her most profitable year ever, or Tina, who used it to make five figures from a sales funnel that she can now replicate and scale, and that's exactly what she's doing, or Carrie, who made over $75,000 in just seven days. And the crazy part about his story was that his online business was actually a side hustle up until that first profitable launch, which he has then been able to grow and scale. And he subsequently quit his job following that very successful week. And I think that that has been just a game changer for Carry and the life he's living the work he gets to do and the impact he gets to make on the world because of the great work he's doing now, because he was able to figure out a system that would get him the targeted traffic, the subscribers, the sales to grow a profitable online business. Bottom line, if you want to grow your online business from six to seven figures, but you flatlined or you're struggling, or you just want to be told what to do and when to do it and in what order, right? And you want a system that is predictable and scalable and isn't just you know another shiny penny, but actually will fit right into your business. It plugs in and is something that you can truly grow. I want you to go to tommorcus.com academy. That's tommorcus.com slash academy. Academy is spelled A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. Go to tommorcus.com slash academy, and you'll find a page on my website with more details about 100K Academy, the business mastermind coaching program I run, as well as instructions on what to do next. Again, that's tommorcus.com slash academy. And if you're serious about growing your reach, influence, and profit, just follow the instructions and we'll be in touch, okay? Again, tommorcus.com slash academy. Go ahead and head over there now. That's it for today. Stay frosty.